Hey, thank you so much again for joining with us, wherever you are and whomever you are with. Uh, before we get into our conversation today, I want to speak specifically to the shadow of our recent days, though also in the light of our approaching days. I want to again observe the way of our Christ and how he handles people, how he handles conversations, uh, how he time and time again interacts with those who are argumentative, those who we know scripturally he disagrees with uh, in a kind, loving and merciful way. I said it a couple of weeks ago how we need to be conscious of not only what we say, but how we say, regardless of whether we are right or they're wrong, our how can obliterate even the most 100% right statement. Marriages, relationships, jobs, uh, all of these conversations we're having even as a nation. Let us be people who do follow Jesus, our Christ, in the way of how we have those conversations, not just what we say. Uh, we're so grateful again for the opportunity to gather in this way. Uh, if you need help finding or forming a community group, we want to help you do that. So email us at info@lifechurchvirginia.com, and we will do our best to get you planted. Before we read our parable, we're working through uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. I want to note, uh, I want us to remember that Jesus is still Journeying. He's still walking from point A to point B. And not to miss a preaching point, uh, so are we. Or, or we could be. We could still be journeying wherever we are, whatever age uh, we are, whatever season we're in. The opportunity avails us once and again to evolve. We can change. We can grow. We can learn. We can step away from what we know into something we could never even imagine. It's amazing how often we are eager to step into the new when it serves our comfort. But when it challenges our character, we're less willing to step into those things. The way of our Christ speaks to such change as resurrection, walking away from old ways and into new ways. Additionally, I think it's informative that, that Jesus speaks to some deeply classical spiritual issues and concerns like neighboring, uh, who is our neighbor, like praying uh, by talking about earthy things. Jesus doesn't get caught up in these huge illustrations, these, these heavenly illustrations. He talks about the earthy things, a robbed, beaten guy lying in a ditch and, and a needy friend like we spoke about last week. Eugene Peterson makes a comment about that that I want to read. He says, why does Jesus answer questions about heaven and requests for teaching about prayer, classical spiritual concerns with stories about a wounded stranger and a hungry drop-in guest? Maybe because Jesus notices that a lot of our talk about the things of God is a way of avoiding the personal presence of God in the hurt and hungry people we meet on the road to Jerusalem. Maybe because Jesus is trying to wean us from chattering God talk. True spirituality is not to be separate from our shared humanity. True spirituality is not to be separated from our shared humanity. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 27, there's a famous scripture. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
Too often we think of heavenly or spiritual things as out there rather than understanding they are within us. They are in all of our relationships and our interactions. I'm not here to reprioritize what is important to you, but I get so many questions asked of me, asking about this, wondering about that, trying to get an answer regarding whatever. And while you, I, we all get to deem what is important ourselves. We get to decide what is worth our time, what is worth our energy. I have begun to speak very honestly towards some universal assessments. I have a mentoring voice in my life. Pastor Mark Estes is on a, the advisory team here at Life Church. He's a pastor in a great church out in Portland, Oregon. And in a difficult season of my life, he would constantly remind me, Christoph, you can't die on every hill. To which I would argue with him, no, but this one's worth it. And so is that one over there. And the one that's upcoming, that's worth dying on as well. And he would just shake his head. And he would honestly laugh in my face and say, Christoph, you can't die on every hill. And so I've taken those words of wisdom to heart and tried to find some universal assessments for what's worth dying on. What's worth having that argument that might be a little bit heated. For me, I ask myself the question, is this going to make me a better husband? Is this going to make me a more present father? Jesus has an assessment as well. When he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? Hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I would suggest that that hill that Jesus gives us That is the hill worth dying on. Everything else, while I grant you, you, I, we can all place different values of importance on things. Loving the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the hills worth dying on. These are the things worth laying our life down for. Let's get into our scripture. Before that, let me pray. Jesus, please speak to me and through me. Listen through each of us that we may hear your word, respond according to your will, mold us, shape us, make us more into your image in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. So here we are, as I said, reminding all of us that we're walking with Jesus. Here we are still journeying with him when this guy... This guy shouts out a question from the crowd and he says this. It says, someone in the crowd, Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Just imagine that. We're walking with the crowd and hey, Jesus, tell that joker to pay me some money. He owes me money. Who knows whether this question is legitimate or not, but culturally, the request has grounding importance. The inquisitor is asking a question that would have been asked rabbis, that that the rabbis could and should have entered into, how they divide an inheritance, what they're owed. But Jesus exercises elementary spiritual discernment, and he launches into a denunciation of covetousness. He doesn't even talk about the question the guy's asking. He denounces covetousness. The guy asks, hey, Jesus, tell him to give me my inheritance. Verse 14, but he said to him, Jesus said to the man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? 
And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now just pump the brakes because that's not what the guy was asking. But here we are. Jesus is just beginning to ramp up towards the parable. And he wants to talk about something else other than the question at hand. In verse 16, Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. Note, always pay attention when God calls somebody a fool. Jesus says, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, before we get into this parable and the conversation that Jesus is inviting us into, I just want to note, this is not a principle-driven moment. Meaning God is not using a bullhorn to shout at every cantankerous financial dealing with each and every family. This is not how we handle each and every inheritance or argument about such. We do this a lot in our day and age because we adhere to the scientific method without even realizing it. Well, this is how this happened, so this is how this should happen. And we drill down in very scientific terms. But this is not a principle-driven moment. Similarly, when Jesus deals with the rich young ruler later in Luke 18, he's not adding a selling everything that you own threshold to building the kingdom of God. He's just speaking to the rich young ruler. We've got to be careful to not paint with a universal, universal brush when Jesus is just talking to a guy. He's just having a singular conversation. I'm not saying we can't glean. I'm just suggesting that we shouldn't emblazon. Peterson speaks to this concept as well. He says, but Jesus discerns in the request of the man, not a passion for justice, but a virus sin, the sin of greed, covetousness. There's nothing more common among those of us who hang out in the company of men and women who follow Jesus than using what everyone agrees is a good thing and essential to the kingdom of God to disguise our sin. Nearly all the sins we get drawn into are packaged as virtues. One of the wonders of the world is the rampant sin that flourishes to applause in Christian communities and organizations. Ambition and pride and avarice are uncritically given places of honor and then supported with a proof text and sealed with a prayer. Whew. I mean, come on, Eugene, ease up a little bit. Here's this guy asking a simple question and Jesus launches into this denunciation of covetousness. But even in his launch, He's not condescending. Again, speaking to how he handles the moment. He doesn't close the door on this guy. He doesn't finger point or, or he doesn't diagram morality. He tells this story about someone with a, a barn and field and wanting to store. And he lets that story, that parable just hang there unobtrusively until those of us who are listening, those of people who are with him, until they want to take that story and enter into it themselves, allowing that story to show them who they are. 
Are they ripping down barns and building and storing only for themselves? Or do they have a generous heart? Are they going to a place to be generous with what they have and who they are? Just some practicals of this parable. Uh, Finances and wealth are connected to the deeper recesses of our being. Why do I know that? Because Jesus tells the story and he connects the goods, the storage with the man's soul. Verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to them, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Our wealth and our finances are so much more than things. They have the ability to connect deeply, to put tendrils into our soul. And Jesus unpacks that for us. Second practical of this parable, a foolish perspective of wealth and finances is filled with personal pronouns. I mean, look at how many times in the parable the rich man speaks to his things. What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I don't know what your perspective is on your wealth or your finances. But according to the scriptures, Jesus challenges us and says a foolish perspective would be one filled with I and my. Additionally, Jesus is speaking to some really personal things, covetousness, wealth and finances, but he doesn't draw any lines. He doesn't say thus far, you can have this much. Jesus just tells a story. We like to draw lines. We like to make rules, give us laws, lay down regulations, not so much to protect our souls or safeguard others, but rather so we know how to get what we want. Ultimately, that's why we want rules and regulations. How do we get what we want? There's a passage in a book, The Good and Beautiful Life. He writes this, speaking of laws, we are continually tempted to create laws. A Christian must give everything to the poor. People who love Jesus don't drive luxury cars. It's sinful for a Christian to wear jewelry when there are poor people. We like to make laws because they provide security, allow us to feel good about ourselves, and give us a way to judge others. We are tempted to turn Jesus' teachings into universal laws. In every situation, you must turn the other cheek and never strike back, even when you see someone being attacked. Always tell the truth, even if it ruins your relationships. Never let anyone see you pray. Jesus forbids it. Give everything away and live in poverty as Jesus commanded. Living in the kingdom requires wisdom. It entails understanding Jesus' teachings, not as universal laws, except the great commandment to love God, self, and the neighbor, but as insights for kingdom living. We need to examine the ways we spend money, how we think about possessions, and see them in the light of the kingdom of God. So we have this guy. He shouts a question from the crowd. Hey, Jesus, tell them to give me my inheritance. And our Christ chooses that moment to tell the story, warning us of our covetousness. I want to give opportunity for all of us today to be those walking with Jesus that are engaging with consistent generosity. 
In the next week, I want to challenge each and every one of us to serve somebody else, to be generous with somebody else one time each day for the rest of this week. Just imagine for a moment if we would all step into that type of a practice, the seeds that we would be sowing in people's lives for fruitfulness and health for the kingdom of God. Remember first and foremost that Jesus is the provision of our souls. And I'm not just speaking to being generous with your finances. That's an easy way, to be honest, to be generous. Think more critically. How can you be generous with your soul? How can you be generous with your time, with a listening ear, with your talents? Find one way to serve somebody and be generous towards them that doesn't immediately connect to you. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't serve your spouse. You should be serving your spouse numerous times every day. And the same with our children. But find somebody that you can serve and be generous with every day of this week, each day. And let me leave you with this benediction. May we put away all of our broad brushes and begin to paint people in neighborly colors. May we spend as much time being liberal towards others as we do building our own barns. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.